0: Greetings everyone. I'm excited to welcome Tony Smith, CEO and co-founder at Restaurant 365 to the show. Tony, welcome.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Ben. I'm I'm excited. I've been a fan of your writing for a while, so I'm pumped to get get uh, connected here.
0: Yeah, definitely excited about the show today. So, let's dive right in. Tell us a little bit about your background.
1: Yeah, I well, I'm the CEO at Restaurant 365 and we founded that back in 2011. So, this is a lot of my background. I've been doing this for 12 years now. And before that, I was doing software consulting for a lot of different businesses in different industries. And then in 2011, with two other guys, John Moody and Morgan Harris, the three of us started Restaurant 365 and really been you know, passionate about the restaurant industry and bringing more technology to it
0: ever since. That's great. So Prior to founding Restaurant 365, so you are in the software consulting business. So, were you, what kind of stuff were you, were you implementing software, recommending software, what type of software? Tell us a little bit about that. And is that where you discovered the idea to, to found Restaurant 365? Yes,
1: it was mainly, we had a business that was reselling Microsoft software and would do that to businesses of all industries. And the main platforms we were selling were accounting software from Microsoft, as well as CRM software. And then we would customize it, we would design solutions for the companies and make it unique to them and write some, you know, some solutions ourselves on top of it, and then train them on it and implement it. So yes, a little bit of all of the things you mentioned there. And and that is, we got to a point there where we felt like it would be valuable to Be in control of the solution we were selling, you know, invest in the areas we wanted to invest in instead of selling someone else's solution. And we really wanted to find one industry where you go really deep and continue to solve needs. Uh, What we were doing, we would come in and implement a solution to fix something. But then the next week, we turn to a totally different industry and kind of reinvent the wheel again. So we wanted to go one industry really deep in this vertical and just continue to build on itself. And, and so, yeah, that's really where the idea came. But finding the right industry wasn't immediate. It took us actually about a year or so, year and a half of looking at different industries to find the one that was big, that had the needs that we thought we could fill, which was around a cloud-based accounting and operations software, because that was where our experience was. And, and finally, when we came across the restaurant industry and looked at what was already there and the open space available, it was really clear once we found that, this is the space. And then we we started Restaurant 365.
0: Yeah, that's great. So it's really interesting, your consulting experience, you saw that full life cycle. So selling to companies, implementing, customizing, and post-sale support, all that stuff, except it just wasn't your software. But you saw, yeah, that full life cycle and got tons of experience there. Yeah, I always say it's, software like that it put the perspective that it's
1: like a garden uh, you know versus because a lot of people would think it was more like a parking lot that you pave once and then it's done and it's like no this is this is a living breathing thing you need to keep weeding it and plant new flowers and yeah. and c- take care of it and software really is a living breathing thing and as you do that it it becomes more helpful to to the customer if they continue to invest in it versus viewing it as a one-time set it and forget it. And so it really helped to drive that perspective for us, which I think helped as we applied that to Restaurant 365.
0: Yeah, and I love that analogy. So let's dive in. Tell us a little bit about what products and services Restaurant 365 offers. Yeah, we provide
1: accounting, store operations, and uh, employee workforce management, so payroll, HR hire, all of those tools for the restaurant industry
0: and in a SaaS product. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so, and when we talk restaurants, I know this could be a pretty broad category, like fast, casual, sit down. I don't know. I don't know all the categories, but is this like any type like fast food to fine dining? Tell us about the restaurants that you're going after here.
1: Yeah. You know, at this stage, we've, that's something we've really tried to build is, is a solution that can work to provide restaurant enterprise management, you know, just management of the full back of house and corporate office and all of that. Uh, for restaurants of all types and sizes. So we have customers with one location. We have customers with 50. We have customers with 1,000. You know, all mm-hmm. sizes and then also all types. We have fast food and fast casual and fine dining and family and all of the different sectors. And we are based in the United States almost entirely. So we haven't mm-hmm. targeted international. We may have a smattering of international customers that have come in, but that hasn't been a target of ours yet.
0: Okay. So interesting. So anywhere from one location up to thousands of, or a thousand locations mm-hmm. and mainly it sounds like, so U.S. customers, maybe a couple random customers outside the U.S. Okay. That's right. And then what, now you mentioned, so you founded the company in 2011 and I'm just curious, you know, you've been on this journey for a while. The idea did you incubate the idea for a while while you're in the consulting practice? to this come to you and you quit your job and you found it with your other co-founders? Or, or how long did it take you to kind of make that leap uh, to founding your company?
1: Yeah, and, you know, there was that luxury of having a day job and a night job,
0: you know, so that you have money coming
1: in because we we self-funded this. So we didn't go out and get external funding. And so you need to keep your day job when, when you're doing that. And and so we did that for a while. and. And that's hard in some ways, right, in terms of time and stress and the risk of putting your own money on the line. Uh, But at the same time, it was more comfortable than just cutting the line and going all the way in on this other thing, you know, without any revenue source personally, right, any Mm -hmm. income. So yeah, so that that was how we did it. And it was basically three years of putting in our own money to get it off the ground, and then another couple of years of not putting in money, but not getting any salary from it either, right? And, and then probably about that year five is where it was finally something contributing to my life instead, where you were fully on to this with, without any other expenses. So that was great.
0: Yeah, I love that. Maybe we'll get to more of your journey because a lot of the founders I interview, anywhere from pre-revenue to a couple years in, and you've been on this journey for a while, which I love. So, And where where are you guys located? Do you have an HQ?
1: Yeah, headquarters in Southern California. That's where I live, and and the headquarters are down here in Orange County and the city of Irvine. And okay. then we have some other offices too. But these days, in in a post COVID era, we do not have a lot of employees in any of the offices.
0: So Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty. Got seven now. year
1: leases, and we just <laughs> yeah. gladly pay for some empty space. I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And what's your current team size? So we total employees probably right around seven hundred. Seven hundred. Okay, all right. So good size. And anything you want to share about your magnitude revenue range? Anything you know to to get a feel for the size of the company? Now,
1: yeah, you know we're we're beyond the hundred million mark in revenue, and and still charging forward. You know, releasing products, enjoying great growth. We invest a lot in the R and D side of the business, so that is a a solid chunk of our employees are on that side. But really, we have great people across the board, and uh, yeah, just. We're, we're in a good stage here where we've gotten to be large enough to have some scale and, and a different level of reputation. But at the same time, there's so much road ahead of us. So it feels like we're just getting started in a number of ways.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And I'd love to dive a little bit into your go-to-market motion because it seems like founders, you know, when you're scaling your product, like you said, you're going after maybe a one location shop to a thousand location company with tons of restaurants you know, in one, scaling the product so it can fit all those different segments. But tell us a little bit about your go-to-market to to, to reach someone who's maybe just that one one restaurant up to a thousand locations.
1: Yeah, it has definitely been honed in over the years, right? It has changed and evolved. When we first started, we had to pick one segment to begin with, right? You kind of have to have a focus area. We were focusing on multi-unit independence. So for us, that meant people with, maybe between 5 to 50 locations and so that w- that was the sweet spot early on and we couldn't have all the modules we have today right off the bat either especially on your own dime so we had to pick one thing you know so we first built one piece of allowing restaurants to pull data from their point of sale systems at multiple stores and then produce a report every morning that came to their inbox and showed How the stores performed the day before and against each other and were there any flagged items that might you know be theft and anyways we just like a helpful report about the restaurant's operations and from there then we built the full accounting module that you know would be normal accounting like a net suite or intact that's our accounting piece that was the next piece we built and then from there it grew into store ops and some of the other pieces so i explain that from a product perspective Mm -hmm. when talking about go to market just because depending on what you've got to sell, your go-to-market's very different, right? And Mm so we had one product and one market segment to begin with. And then as we went, we invested in the product and grew that out. We were able to go to more market segments with more products. And at first, the products were all in one. You had to buy them all. You couldn't separate it. You know, and then over time you mature and we kind of peeled a couple of them off so you could start with one thing and add another thing later. And so go to markets really evolved along the way as the product has evolved. And we've gotten to a point now where we have a really strong marketing team who markets across, you know, seven or eight different type of lead channels. And we we measure the productivity of each one of those. And and that comes into the sales process. And we have pretty, pretty finely honed sales process at this point that the reps run through broken into eight or 10 different sales motions, depending on what type of market they're going, because it is different, like you said, to sell to a large enterprise versus selling to a one or two unit group. So we have different sales teams with different sales models that go into the different spots. And that's one thing we've really learned. On the go-to-market, I believe you need different motions, uh, both from marketing and sales, for the different customer sets and for different product types. But the Beautiful part of it is we've been able to build it so it's one code base. So you have one product, mm-hmm. but a lot of different sales motions. And, and so that's something we've been really adamant about is not creating multiple code bases mm-hmm. that are customized for different customers. That gets really messy. But the sales part, you can always tweak your sales motion and change it for a new segment. So that's great.
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. in and- one thing, you know, you're 12 years into your journey or so at Restaurant 365 and I know a lot of founders struggle with pricing, right? We know pricing is so hard. You go through so many iterations. Any thoughts for the founders and the community founders listening as they think about pricing because right, we tend to underprice maybe in the beginning and then we raise prices to make our business model work, but any any top of the head thoughts around and pricing and any any guidance there that you've learned over over the 12 plus years? Yeah. I would say, number one, unfortunately, there's no silver bullet,
1: right? Mm-hmm. It would be great. There's a lot of consultant groups out there that are great groups who can talk to you about your pricing and help you do some analysis. But but nobody can just give you this perfect turnkey. And unfortunately, even if they can in the moment, it changes the next year, right? Because the economy changes or your product grows. And, and so it's, it's a constantly evolving thing. I, I think number one thing I could say besides that is, I think people should definitely assess pricing at least every 12 months. And I I just don't think there's a time where your price should be set in stone. And you feel it's one of these where you're always at the drawing board. You should never Mm -hmm. feel like, oh, finally, pricing set. No, not for very long. So you should always be assessing that. And another thing I think is I would personally rather err on the side early on of underpricing and getting some fans and getting some supportive customers and receiving their feedback. And, and I mean, in the earliest days, drastically underpricing, right? And and then building it up from there versus swinging for the fences out of the gate and really hindering my ability to touch the industry and build a reputation. So yeah, I think that matters. But then down the road, it's fair to, to have regular price increases because things get more expensive, and your product grows and expands. And so that's even mm-hmm. better, right? When you can Put a dollar figure on the real value you're adding to people. And once it's real value, that's that's what I always try to tell our team to base it around is AAV, always add value. So I say, where where are we adding the value? What is the value being added? And there should be able to be a price as long as you're adding value. If you're just trying to put a price because, well, we spent some time writing code, who cares about that, right? But if Mm -hmm. you're putting a price because you're truly adding value to someone, then that's coming from the right perspective.
0: Love it appreciate those invite insight. yeah, it's hard, right? It's always evolving, like you said, not set in stone, you know, always changing. And so you recently raised some capital, recently raised 135 million. Do you recall because you've been at this for a while, how much capital you've raised to date roughly now?
1: You know, I don't know the total. We've done seven rounds. This was our seventh round. Okay. so some 300 million or so, I I, I would say somewhere around there.
0: Okay. Yeah. So around seven rounds. And and before we were recording, you said it wasn't, it wasn't until 2018. So you founded in 2011 and 2018 was your first capital raise. That's right. We bootstrapped for seven years.
1: Okay. And we were novices when it came to the fundraising and it was time to start that up. I read some of your blogs. I, I felt armed. I created one spreadsheet that had a, a few numbers in it of how we were performing. And I just emailed it out to some groups that had good reputations as great investment groups. And Excitedly, a number of them came back. I, you know, I was really surprised and pleased, and and so we ended up going with Bessemer on that first round, and they okay. became a great partner. So that that was our initial investor. But yeah, seven years
0: into the journey. Yeah, that's great. So tell us, it, maybe we can talk about the most recent raise in that first raise. So I don't if you remember back to that first raise in 2018. What were what was on your mind? What what triggers or what you were thinking that said we're ready to raise capital or want to raise capital right now?
1: Yeah. It was so we got to late 2017 and we were just coming up to a scale. I think we were like six million in revenue and we were we were getting to the scale where it seemed like we have one of two paths to take. We can either run this as a lifestyle business and it'll be a great company and we can keep working here and have a fantastic company or we have a lot of things that are actually measuring up with some of these highest performing companies. And so we could take a swing maybe for the fences, per se and raise some money and get really serious about go-to-market and investing in more of these product ideas we have and so it was a big decision for us then and and we decided it was worth trying to really extend our our product and our go-to-market into this further vision we we finally had a spot where we felt like we had nailed product market fit Mm -hmm. and that was felt like it was being spoken back to us by the customers in their usage the fact they were paying for the product, as well as some of their spoken words, just saying, "Hey, we think we found the holy grail," and so we said, "You know, we need to have some more money to expand on this." And and so those were that was the thought process around why it was the right time for us. And we felt like we, with the product market fit and enough scale, that we understood all the levers of the business. Since we self-funded it for a long time, we did that to profitability, right? Because you had to. We didn't. We didn't have other money, and so then we felt like if we had a bit more fuel on this fire, we know exactly where we could put it and what it would do to the business. And, and that's when we had that confidence and the confidence of the product market fit. And we just knew there was more demand. That's where we knew we were ready for it.
0: Okay. And I, I appreciate you laying that out because founded in 2011. So late 2017, 2018, raising that first round around 6 million. So kind of that journey, that bootstrap journey to 6 million and then now pouring fuel to the fire and now, you know, much larger, say hundred million, hundred billion, you know, say in yeah, that range, yeah. you know, from 2018 now to 2023, 20, five years later. So kind of just that nice steady trajectory. And then it seems like an upward slope since then.
1: Yeah. 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 It's, it's been very exciting. You know, prior to that, we were still growing in that. 80 to 100% range year over year. But when you're little, you know, growing 100% when you're at a million is adding a million and you know, at 2 million, it's 2 million. And and so it's just not making that big of a dent. But then once we got to that bigger scale and took the funding, like then you grow at 100%, you go from seven to 14 and 14 to 28. And it's a totally different scale. And, And so it's it's been an exciting ride to see that high growth engine. Yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. And so your most recent raise, one hundred thirty-five million, decent amount of money. You know, so tell us what led to that round. You know, what were you seeing market conditions, internal conditions that said let's let's raise some more capital. Yeah, you know we're
1: not we're not a big cash burner right now, uh, so we actually weren't out doing a fundraise, uh, but we were getting a decent amount of inbound interest from some really great groups, and we we had enjoyed a lot of support from our current investors. Bessemer had led two rounds and Iconic led four rounds. And those are both great groups. Those are the two on our board. And we had a very simple board and some great financial backing. But but this time around, we weren't planning to raise. But when we saw, it's always nice to have more cash than less. (laughs) Just have some stability, some strength, and also the ability to pull the trigger on strategic items as they might come up right? And so even though we weren't going to raise right then with some of the groups coming in and giving very reasonable, solid valuations, I I think right now there's a lot of groups that are careful with their cash in terms of investment firms. And they want something that feels very safe. Right now, the type of business we are is both exciting because it's growing, but also pretty safe because I think of the type of company we are and the type of product we offer. and, And so because of that, it was just great timing uh, where, where there were some groups really excited about getting involved. And, and so I decided, why not right now? They made it easy on us.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's really interesting. And you know, for the founders listening right now, I mean, obviously tons of experience in, in fundraising right now through your journey. So any lessons learned along the way that you'd like to share with other founders, whether maybe it's back to that first raise or other raises or the most recent raise?
1: yeah I some of the things that have stood out to me, I was such such a novice, right that i I don't know how much of a a sage I am with wisdom but but I would say something I didn't put as much stock in early on. I thought all about our numbers and, and the numbers are important. Stacking up in certain ways does does excite people, uh, but it really is about the story of knowing your story what value do you add why do you deserve to win right and and where are you going how are you going to take this further that that whole story why three years from now are you still going to be exciting to people because of the next vision? you know like Mm you just really painting that picture was so important as well as then once you can paint that finding the right personal connection i think is worth more than the highest valuation. And I've given up a highest valuation before to go with the group that felt like the right fit. And and I'm happy that I've done that because building out that correct board and the right support system with people who believe in that vision and are gonna stand behind you, sometimes when things are hard, like. Let's say when COVID hits the restaurant industry, for example, you know, if you have the right people around the table there, you're going to come out the other side strong. And and that was worth much more than, you know, say, just taking the highest value.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So obviously knowing your numbers, but still storytelling, whether you're pre-seed to, you know, Series X. And then, yeah, it sounds like then that founder investor fit, finding that collection. They believe in your vision, believe in what you're trying to achieve.
1: Yep. Yeah. I think that matters a lot for us. The way I say it, we're a product first company. We invest a lot in our product and we we really drive behind that. And, and so I wanted to find investors who had a track record of that as well. And then especially for us being in a vertical market, some folks who had had success in vertical SaaS investing mattered mm-hmm. to me. And, and that's been really helpful.
0: Yeah, yeah, makes a lot of sense. And so leading the business of your scale right now, is there a favorite number or metric that you're focused on? Yeah. Mm. Well, I love a lot of metrics. I have top ten. I I call <laughs> top, them our or maybe a couple, a couple. Yeah, I I
1: call them our key metrics, and I show them to the whole company at our all hands every quarter. And and we really all, you know, get get around these things. But the top one is ARR growth rate. Mm-hmm. It just is. You know, even even though profitability has been coming up as more of a factor in valuation growth rate is still the largest driver in terms of the interest and the value you'll get. And and so, so that's a key number for us, of course. And then I, the second one that I've really um, solidified around is net retention, right? Gross retention is super important, but net has seemed to tell more of the story because that's not only do you keep them, but can you continue to add value with them and help them to grow and thrive because that's really what the customers want is for them to thrive, not for you to thrive. So, you know, how do we do things where they see value and want to, Pay more because they're gonna get more. And, and so those are probably the two top metrics, which is, I'm sure, super cliche, because I'm sure that's most everyone's, but I'm happy to rattle through any of them sometime. But yeah, those yeah. are some.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure at your scale you've got tons of metrics that that you're you're producing. But yeah, obviously those are popular. Your growth rate always comes up, whether you're one million or at your scale. And of course, net revenue retention, a big one. Uh so Tony, really appreciate your time today as we wrap up. What's coming up next uh for restaurant 365?
1: You know, it's it's an exciting time around here. We have some uh, new product releases. Last year, our big one was workforce payroll, uh, really coming out with, with that product suite. And that's been very exciting 12 months for us. So we're still heavily investing there and in the early innings. But this year, our latest release is around business intelligence and providing a lot more of the data to restaurants that we have in formats where they can glean much more and get smarter based on those. And so that that's that's a big push for us right now and has seemed to have been exciting for our customers lately.
0: All right, so that BI module, of course, we can't get enough data, especially as a CFO. So Tony, really appreciate your time today sharing your story and journey. If listeners would like to learn more about Restaurant 365, where should we send them online? Yeah, I think the, the website, restaurant365.com is the place to be. And uh, one last question, I saw on your LinkedIn profile, dad Joe connoisseur. So this could be putting you on the spot, but any dad jokes you want to wrap up with? Oh,
1: man. I, I have so many that everyone around me hates it. Uh, what's, what's the re- most recent one I, I was thinking about? Uh, Who would pass away sooner? Could my family are optometrists, so this is going to be an eye <laughs> joke, by the way. Who would pass away sooner, the students or their teacher? their teacher because pupils dilate. <laughs> terrible, yeah, that's right? a good one.
0: Yeah, I get it. I get it. Yep. Yeah, yep. it's terrible. But there you
1: go. There's one for you.
0: That's a joke. All right. Well, Tony, really appreciate you sharing your time and your story today. And what a journey, I'm sure, you know, long journey up ahead for you. So again, thanks for coming on the show. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Ben. It's a pleasure.